um, and 14. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. This is what uh, Paul told the Corinthians. And if Christ... And, uh, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Let's read it together. It's pretty simple, but it's very foundational. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Amen. So pretty much what Paul is telling us here in that verse is pretty simple. He's saying, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then... Christianity, our faith pretty much will fall apart. Amen? So pretty much uh, Paul was saying here that the, the, the resurrection, both the death and the resurrection of Christ, is the very foundation of our Christian faith. Amen? And throughout the scripture, uh, not just here, but throughout the New Testament, I want to show you that there are so many aspects of our faith, pretty much Christianity, all together, rise and fall on the resurrection of Christ. I'm going to point to you today some different verses in the New Testament that is directly linked events and aspects of our faith that is absolutely directly linked and based on the resurrection of Christ. So much so that none of this could have ever happened if Jesus would have not risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. So let's read through some of these verses together. The first aspect of our faith that we see could have never happened if Jesus would have not risen from the dead is the raising of sinners like you and me from our spiritual death. We we'll read that a couple of times in the New Testament. Ephesians 2, 5 to 6. Here's what Paul said. Even when we were dead through our trespasses, God made us alive. How? How did God, did God raise sinners from their spiritual deadness? He made us alive together with Christ. When God made Christ alive, he made us alive together with him. When did God make Christ alive? When he raised him from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that when, when God raised Jesus from his physical deadness and he made his alive in the same way, in the same manner, at the same time, in the exact same event, God also breathed life into people like you and me who are spiritually dead and he made us alive together with Christ. Amen? Amen. Same concept, Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. How? With Christ. In the same time, the same event, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he raised you and me from our spiritual deadness to be alive with Christ. How did he do that? He forgave us our sins. Amen? How is it that the resurrection of Christ is important for our salvation experience? Let me ask you a question. We talked about this before. What is sin? What is the very definition of sin in the scripture? Disobedience to God. What else? Come on, bye, guys. We talked about this before. The scripture actually gives us the definition to sin in 1 John. It's saying sin is a lawlessness. And we talked about this before. Lawlessness means intentional break of the law. It doesn't mean that you live in a land where there is no law that governs this land. Sin literally means to break the law of God. 
just like when you speed. If the speeding limit is 35 miles per hour, you're driving intentionally and purposely 50 or 55 miles per hour, you are purposefully breaking the law, right? And that is the scriptural definition of what sin is. Sin is breaking the law of God. God said, don't lie. You lie. You're purposely breaking the law of God, right? And the problem with that is that when you break the law of God, you put yourself under the punishment of God. Just like when you break the law here on earth. You drive 55 miles an hour in a 35 miles per hour zone. Guess what? You have to pay fine. You have to go to court, you have to pay fine, right Steve? When you break the law, you have to pay the penalty of breaking that law. And that is the problem with sin. Every single one of us is a sinner before God. We have broken his law. And because we broke his law, we are by default under his judgment and under his wrath, right? But there's also another aspect to sin, another problem when it comes to sin. Paul talked about here in Ephesians 2 and in Colossians 2. Sin makes us dead, right? He said that here in, in Ephesians 2, 5, when you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And in Colossians 2, 13, you were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your uh, flesh. So it's not that sin is just breaking the law of God that puts us under the judgment of God. Sin makes us dead before a holy and a righteous God. Right? Think about the prodigal son. When he was far away from his dad, and when he came back, what did the dad say about his son? He said, my son was lost and now found, and he was dead and now has become alive. Was that son actually physically dead? The son was pretty alive, right? He was just separated from his father, right? But separating from the father, from a scriptural perspective, is being dead. And sin separates us from God. And because sin separates us from God, we are dead spiritually when it comes to God. Because he is the source of life and we are separated from him. You guys are with me? So there are two aspects of the problem of sin here. Number one, it's breaking the law of God that puts us under the judgment of God. But number two, sin makes us dead, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been to a funeral and you go to, to see the dead body and you see that the tie that this person is wearing is not right, you keep yelling at them, fix your tie or button your shirt. What do you think that dead person will do? Nothing. nothing. Because a dead person can do nothing. You guys are with me? So here is our problem. We are sinners. We broke the law of God. We're under the punishment of God. And in the same time, to make things even worse, we are dead before a holy and a righteous God. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do to improve ourselves before God. So how did God provide the answers to that? God did two things through Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, he solved the first problem of sin, which is the wages of sin. Jesus paid the price when he died as our substitute on the cross. He took our penalty. Amen? Amen. But the same Jesus who died on the cross rose again from the dead in the third day. And because Jesus is alive, he can infuse his life-giving, resurrecting power into dead people, dead sinners like you and me. And he can raise us and make us alive because of the power of his resurrection. You guys are with me? 
Every time I go out witness, I tell people this. Everything that you need to enter into heaven, God has provided in the death and in the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus would have just died on the cross as our substitute and remained on the grave, he might have solved the first problem, which is the wages of sin, right? But we still would have been dead in our sins, and nobody can help us because we need that external power that comes only from the resurrection of Christ. You guys are with me. Imagine somebody is dead, or whatever, somebody died, and they have that massive debt, and you pay off that debt, but the person is still dead. Is that good for them? Paying that is good, right? But you still need to infuse power in them. That person needs to become alive. And that's why our salvation is not just dependent on the cross of Christ. It's on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Amen? One would have not done. We needed both. We need both the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? We just heard Steve's story. He's like, I couldn't do nothing about it. Guess what, Steve? Welcome to the club, man. None of us could have done nothing about our spiritual walk with God. If we could, then Jesus did not need to rise from that dead. It's because of the resurrection power that we are celebrating this morning that God can breathe his life and his power in dead people like you and me, and he can make us alive together with Christ. Amen? Without Jesus' resurrection, there is no salvation to none of us. It's just as simple as that. But number two, the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It's good for you that I go away. Why, Jesus? Just stay with us. We can talk to you. We can ask you a question. You can reply back to us. We just can have this Fellowship going on all the time. Why is it better that you would leave? You shouldn't leave. You should stay with us. Here is what he said. Because if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, how did Jesus go? Through the resurrection and the ascension, right? This is how he goes. He said, if, if, if I am being resurrected and if I ascend to be at the right hand of God, then I will send the comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. And if I am not resurrected, if I'm not ascended, if I do not go away, then the comforter will not come to you. Amen? If Jesus would have not risen, if Jesus would have not ascended from the dead, the Holy Spirit would have not come down. Because Jesus is the one who sent him to us. Amen? I don't know about you. It's hard to send something when you're dead. Don't you agree with me? Right? It's because Jesus is alive. Because he was risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. He sent the Holy Spirit who is, in a way, according to the word of Jesus, is, is slightly, well, it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit while we're walking here in this life trying to serve him. Amen? Amen. But number three, the giving of the gifts to the church. Which is, goes hand in hand with the giving of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit brings his own gifts to us. Amen? Amen. Ephesians uh, 4, 7 to 11. Here is what Paul said. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed, appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. When did Christ give gifts to people? When he 
ascended on high. When did he ascend on high? After his resurrection. If Jesus would have not risen, he would have not ascended. He would have not given gifts to men. Amen? And the scripture goes on to list all these gifts. The prophets, the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists, and the teachers, and all these gifts that God has given to the church. If Jesus, imagine, imagine we're doing church without the Holy Spirit and without the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That would be pretty sad, right? We don't have the comfort. We don't have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us, telling us where to go. You're stuck in one situation. You have nowhere to go because you don't have Holy Spirit. You don't have anybody, right? But all this blessing, the Holy Spirit himself and the gifts that the Holy Spirit came to us, these aspects of our faith is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus would have not risen, we would have not had the Holy Spirit, neither the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number four, if Jesus would have not risen, Jesus would have not been the head of the creation. There's two examples of that in the New Testament. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 1, 20 to 23. Here is what Paul was telling the Ephesians. He's asked, praying for them that they will experience the power of God. And he said this, where the power of God is manifest, how? Where is this power that he want them to experience? Here it is. When God raised Christ from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand and in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name to be named not only in this world but also in the one to come and has put the everything under subjection under his feet and give him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him to fill all in all god raised jesus from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand to be the head of every rule authority power dominion and every name to be named not only in this age but also in the one to come amen if Jesus would have not risen from the dead, he would have not been the ruler, the master of this creation and every authority in this world, right? Again, it's hard to be the ruler when you're in the grave, right? Right? It's because of his resurrection that Jesus can be master, the head of all creation. Another example also not mentioned here, but Philippians 2, the same idea. When, when Paul is talking about Christ and he said he was in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something that he can hold onto for his own advantage. But he humbled himself and being in the form of man, he was obedient to the point of death. The death on the cross, what happened after all of this? Therefore, God also has raised him up and seated him in the heavenly places and giving him the name that is above every name that one day at the name of Jesus was going to happen. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Jesus received his name, his authority, and every knee will bow to him, every tongue will confess to him because he was raised from the dead and he was seated at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen. If Jesus would have not been raised from the dead, he would have not been the head of creation. But number five, if Jesus would have not been raised from the dead, Jesus would have not been the head of the church, the master, the ruler of our church. In 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, Peter described Christ as a living stone, the chief cornerstone 
by which on which the whole building is being built together. But it's very interesting how he described Christ. He is a living stone. I don't know about you. Have you ever seen a living stone before? That would be pretty weird, right? But Jesus is not a dead stone. He is a living stone because he was raised from the dead by the power of God. And because he is the living stone, he is the foundation by which the whole church stand or fall. And in the same way, if Jesus would have not risen from the dead, he would have not been the foundation of the church. He would have not been the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 talks about Christ as well. And he is what? The head of the, what is the body? The church, you and me. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus was the chronologically the first person who was raised from the dead? No. Jesus raised three people himself before, before he died, right? When Jesus died, the Bible said many people were raised from the dead. We see resurrection in the Old Testament. So why is it that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead? Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he never died again, right? Every other person was raised before Jesus went back and eventually died, except Christ. He was the firstborn from the dead. He is the word firstborn here doesn't mean that he is chronologically, time-wise, is the first one to be raised, but rather that he is the head, he's the ruler, he is the master of that new race that will rise from the dead and will never go back to see death again. Amen? Who is that race? Which one is that race? It's you and me. And because Jesus was the first one who rose from the dead and never went back to see death again, he became the head of that new race that is created, brand new creation, through him and in him. Amen? Jesus would have not been the head of the church if he did not rise from the dead. So how many aspects we talked about so far? Number one, the raisings of you and me, your salvation, my salvation, is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Number two, the sending of the Holy Spirit is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. The giving of the gifts to the church is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus becoming the head of creation is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus becoming the head of the church is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I lost count. Number six, I guess. The work of Christ as our advocate is also contingent on Jesus being raised from the dead. Romans 8, 34 talks about Christ. And here's what Paul said. Who has the nerve to condemn us? Who then is the one who condemns? No one can, can, can condemn us. Why? Because Christ Jesus who died more than that, he was also raised from the dead, is at the right hand of God, and he is also interceding for us. Amen? Jesus is our advocate, and because Jesus is our advocate, he's at the right hand of God, interceding. No one can ever condemn us. Amen? Amen. Think about it this way. 
The scripture tells us that it's like a court setting. This is how I picture it. It's a court setting where God is the judge and you have that devil, Satan, that his name actually literally means prosecutor. He's the one who's going after you and me and trying to pro prosecute us for our sins that we commit every day. Amen? But praise be to the name of Jesus this morning. Amen? We have a defense attorney at the right hand of majesty on high. Amen? And he's a pretty darn good defense attorney. Amen? Nobody can manipulate Jesus or deceive him. Satan can lie all that he wants. Even our own mistakes. Satan can take advantage of that and use it to accuse us before a holy and a righteous God. But the blood of Jesus is far more sufficient than anything you and I could have ever committed. Amen? And Jesus is our defense defense attorney and there is nothing he always will win every single single case that he ever defend amen? amen he is our defense attorney he is our advocate but that is contingent on him being raised from the dead that's in a way what paul was saying here who can condemn us Nobody, because Jesus who died rose again from the dead. And because of his death and because of his resurrection, now he's being at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Amen? Again, it's pretty hard to make a case being a, defense, a good defense attorney when you're locked in the grave. Would you agree with me? Right? But Jesus being our advocate, being our defense attorney, is contingent on him being raised from the dead. And we talked about this when we studied in Hebrews. How Jesus is able to save to the utmost because he lives forever to make intercession for those who come to God, to the Father, through him. Amen? Amen. But number seven, I guess, the, right, the raising of the believer from our physical death. It's good that we're spiritually raised in Christ. Amen? Amen. But the sad news is we're all going to physically ultimately die. Wouldn't you agree with me? We're all going to die physically. Now imagine this. Imagine that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Imagine that for a second. How depressing that will be to you and me. When you see that leader, our, the founder of our faith, the one who came and claimed that he is the son of God and did all these miracles, made all these crazy claims, and then he died as our substitute, and then death still overcome him. Death could not... He could not break the power of death. I don't know about you, that would be pretty depressing. You and me will be laying down in our deathbed just frustrating because if Jesus didn't make it, we're sure not going to make it, right? But we have hope. This is what Peter said, said that we have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Because Jesus is raised from the dead. We have a hope, and it's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. We know that we have life and have it eternal because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. Romans 8, 11. Look at this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul was telling us here, you can rest assured that your mortal bodies will be raised from the dead because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead will work in you. In other words, it's because of the resurrection of Christ that you and me can rest assured that our mortal bodies will be raised from the dead one day. Amen? 
that the opposite is also true. If Jesus would have not raised from the dead, then you and I have every single, have every right to question ever the possibility that we're going to be raised from the dead. Amen? Jesus raised from the dead, and because he is raised from the dead, you and I now, not just the hope, but the assurance that we also arise again. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit for those who have fallen asleep. The word first fruit here that Paul was talking about is actually a reference to a feast that, that the Jewish people would have. It was mentioned in Leviticus 23, the, the feast of the first fruit. What happened back then is when, when the Jewish people plant the land and they're about to reap the harvest, the harvest is out, they just need to go out and collect it from the fields. Before they do that, they were commanded to bring a shaft, like just take a, a piece of the harvest, bring it first before the Lord, and wave it before the presence of God as if they're giving that to God as an offering. And when they do that, that first fruit that they offer to God, in a way, shows their assurance that they would definitely go back and reap all the harvest that has already blossomed. You guys are with me? So that first fruit was, in a way, an act of assurance and certainty from their side, because they actually see the harvest there. They just take the first part of it and offer it to God. They were so sure that the harvest is there, and the evidence of that is that they bring the first fruit to God. And that's what Paul is saying here. Jesus is that first fruit feast for us because he is raised from the dead. We know that we know that we know that we also be raised from the dead. Amen? The rising of you and me, believers, from our physical death. We can rest assured of that because Jesus has been raised from the dead. But the last aspect that we see in the scripture that is contingent on the resurrection of Christ is the judgment of those who don't know God. We read that in Acts 17, 30 to 31. In the past, this is what Paul said again. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance and sins, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. How? By the man he has appointed, who's that man? Jesus, right? He's going to be the judge. He has given proof of this to everyone. How? By raising him from the dead. What Paul is telling us here is this. The judgment of God is so assured and it is evidenced by the very resurrection of Christ. Let me give you an analogy. Imagine that you have a court date. And the score date is in a week from now. And then you hear from your lawyer that the judge that's going to, you know, you're going to stand before him in that court is actually pretty sick. And he's bedridden. How would you feel? Oh, man, I'm very happy, right? <laughs> oh, hopefully something will happen to him and uh, he's not going to show up. What if you hear that the judge passed away? He died. Then you're really, really happy because now the one who can execute judgment and you are out of the picture. Oh, that makes you really, really happy, right? Now, imagine that two, three days before the court, the lawyer comes back and is like, oh, the judge now fully recovered and he's definitely going to be in the court. How would you feel? Right? Because the fact that the judge now is alive and well for you gives you a proof, evidence that this judgment, there is no way you're going to skip it. You're definitely going to stand before the judge. Amen? 
If Jesus is going to be the judge of the living and death, and he's still trapped in a grave, and there's a stone on that grave, do you think anybody should be ever concerned about him? Right? But the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and he is at the right hand of God in a way gives every single person in this world proof, assurance that he will surely be the judge of every single soul in this world. Amen? Amen. How many things we see in the scripture now is contingent on the resurrection of Christ? Let's go over it together. Number one. The raising of the sinners from spiritual dead is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Number two, the sending of the Holy Spirit is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. The giving of the gifts to the church is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus becoming the head of creation is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus becoming the head of the church is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Jesus being our advocate, our defense attorney in heaven is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. The raising of the believers from our physical death that we know for sure we're going to face is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. And ultimately and finally, the judgment of every single sinner is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Let me just close with that last thought. Between the first action that we talked about and the last action that we talked about. The first action is that the, the, the raising of sinners from their spiritual dead is contingent on the resurrection of Christ. And the last one is the assurance of God's judgment is also contingent on the resurrection of Christ. Let me close with that thought. The resurrection of Christ is a double-edged sword. Amen? Amen? Let me repeat that again. The resurrection of Christ is a double-edged sword. Today, if you repent of your sins, and just like the story that we heard from Stephen, come to him and say, God, there is nothing in me. I cannot make myself right with you. Sin has already marred my life, has already ruined everything that I am. I know I have broken your law. I know there is nothing in me that I can do so I can make myself right before you. If you come to God with that brokenness and this attitude, then the risen Christ will infuse power in you and just like what I heard from Steve this morning, you today will become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. The flip side of that the flip side of this coin is that if today, I think Steve nailed it. He said he was broken enough that he wanted Christ to intervene, right? And that is the problem with so many people. We're, we know we're bad, but we're not that bad. We know we need God, but we don't need him bad enough that we're willing to change our ways. You guys are with me. If we do not come to that point today to say, Christ, please come into my heart and change me, then the exact same living Christ who's today willing to forgive your sins, infuse his power in you and change you and make you a brand new creation. That exact same Christ one day will be the judge of the whole earth and you're going to stand before him. But that day there will be no mercy left. There will be no love left. There will be no grace left. All that will be left is the expectation of a fearful judgment from the risen Christ. Amen. What would you choose today? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.